Hey, we're going to get started and spend some time talking about the distractions of the world. We've been in this series now for, this is the fourth week, and uh, we've been talking about all the other ways we can be distracted, and we're going to spend some time talking about the ways that we can be distracted by our relationships. So in order to get started, I want to do a quick survey, kind of as we have been doing through the series, and kind of just see where everybody is in the way that you view relationships. So I'm going to give three crazy stereotypes here, okay? So I'm just going to tell you that's what it is. Um, This is the first one. This is the person who's the relational maximalist. The person who is the, the party bus driver, a person who loves relationships. There can never be too many friends. This is the person that has never met a stranger. You could have a million people as your friends and that's okay. On Facebook, you probably got 148,000 friends because everyone who's ever met you and send you a friend request, you've accepted it because the more, the merrier. Relational maximalist, party bus driver, okay? Then this direction, we have the relational moderate. Okay, this is the person who is the minivan driver. Don't need too many friends, but I've got enough seats back there to fit eight or nine. You know, you can kind of stick them in. But if I ever had less than that, I would have an opening and I could fit another one in. If I ever had more than that, someone's going to have to go because we can't all fit. But that's a moderate amount of people that I like to hang out with. That's the relational moderate. This is the person who is the minivan driver. Then on this end of the spectrum, we have the motorcyclist. This is the person who is the relational minimalist, okay? Uh, Two friends for my whole life. I've known them since kindergarten. Bosom buddies. We know every single thing there is to know about each other. Birthday, social security number, where they went to school. Everything you can possibly know. I don't need more friends. At the most, you might have a sidecar on that motorcycle. So there's a couple people, but that's all you need. You, You know a couple really deep. You don't want anybody else in there, okay? So this is the motorcycle driver, the minivan driver, and the party bus driver. You ready? Here comes the survey. So throw your hands in the air for whichever one you are. Who are the very relational people, relational maximalists, those who are the party bus drivers? Hands in the air, party bus drivers. All right. All right, decent are party bus drivers. Okay, not too bad. Now, those in the moderate section, the minivan drivers. How many of you are mini- minivan drivers? All right, quite a few minivan drivers here. And now at this end, those who are the motorcyclists. Who like the motorcycle drivers? Who are there? Oh, you'll admit it. Do you realize by putting your hand in the air, the party bus drivers are coming after you? They're going to be recruiting you to the party bus. There's always room for more. Now you're in for trouble. Now here's the deal. When it comes to looking at relationships, we all view them a little differently based upon uh, our personalities, the, just, uh, the kinds of friends that we've had in our life, various different degrees of understanding relationships out there. But regardless of how you view relationships, it is possible for a relationship to become a distraction. Now, as we started this series a few weeks ago, we defined a spiritual distraction as anything that steals your focus from God. Now, I think it's really important to kind of put a disclaimer at this point because people are very important. People are incredibly important. In fact, when you look at all of creation, humanity is distinct from everything else that was ever made. When God created the whole world, he took six days to create and one day to rest. And five of those days were devoted to the material parts of this world, the animals, the trees, the the, the grass, everything like that. And he spent an entire day devoted to creating in his image Mankind, man and woman. We are distinct in that way. And so I would want to make it really clear that people innately, by our nature, are not interruptions. People innately are not distractions. However, 
the way that we view our relationships with those people very much can be distractions. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you may recall that a couple of weeks ago we started talking about how things, the things that we have, stuff, can become distractions. Then we talked about last week how uh, our work, our ambition, uh, our goals, how the things we do can become a distraction. This week, it's relationships. And as you look at all of those, none in in themselves are sin and wrong. But the way we view them can actually be a struggle. So we're going to go open up the Bible and let God define for us a little bit about how he views relationships and our most important relationships. So go to Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. If you're going to be using one of the red ones, It'll be on page 773 if you've got one of these Bibles. And I'm going to set this up and and go right into the text. Jesus is spending some time in the Jerusalem temple. And he's talking to people about all kinds of different topics. And as he begins conversing and sharing in these discussions, uh, a handful of the religious leaders show up. Some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they take this time to take pot shots at Jesus. They're trying to see if they can mix him up and ask questions about him. Insincere questions. They don't care the answers for, quite honestly, just to try to throw him off. And he keeps answering with such perfection, with such complete authority, understanding what it is he's talking about, that they eventually walk away. A lot of them leave. And it leaves just the people there who are sincerely wondering what it is that this Jesus has to say to them. Picking up in verse 28, you'll see that there's a religious leader standing there as well. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the discussion. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus begins when this question is asked, which, for the record, I think is a sincere question. I believe that as this religious leader, uh, this person who's a teacher of religious law, talks to Jesus, he sees there's something about this guy that seems like he's telling the truth. He, he, He must know what he's talking about, and he asks a sincere question. Jesus, what's the most important of all the commandments that we have? Remembering back to this time, there would have been many commandments that the Jewish people would have been trying to live by, hundreds even. Uh, We would remember the the top ten big commandments, but the Jewish people of that day would have even more piled on top of that, and they wanted to know, God, what, what, what is this? Okay, Jesus, if you really know about the things of God, what do you think? And Jesus tells them, the most important commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He begins by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and only. This is the Shema. Back from Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is what the Jews had held on to dearly in their heart way back into the earliest days uh, of Israel history. Like God had said before, anything I want to be first. I have to be first before anything. And that was what they remembered is that special prayer, that special command. Jesus reiterates it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So our primary relationship in our life must be between us and God. In fact, I would even argue that it not just should be, it is. The most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God. Whether you are a believer or not, your relationship with God will determine your eternity. And and even, even in your individual practical lives now, it will even determine the course of your days right here on this earth. How you relate to God defines everything about who you are. And that's why Jesus begins by saying, this is the greatest commandment. 
But he adds to it. He says, there's a second greatest commandment that is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So love God and love others. Jesus camps on this for a moment and explains, listen, you want to know the greatest commandment? Love God. And right up next to it, love others. And he provides for us a priority in the way that we look at relationships. He says, God first and then everybody else. Okay? And that's what we're going to spend a lot of time this weekend because if we can't grasp that we're supposed to be first in a relationship with God and then with everybody else, we're going to miss the big idea. God first and then everybody else. In fact, if you were to look at relationships, people's lives, especially those who are believers, who are following God, who have said, I have surrendered my life to you. God, I will honor your command, which is to look, at, look to you first and have a relationship with you before anyone else. If a person is in that situation, then you'll find that right relationships with everyone else in your life are a product of a right relationship with God. Conversely, for those who have troubled relationships in their life, it is very likely that the troubled relationships in your life are an indication of a troubled relationship with God. Now, pause for a moment, okay? Because I'm full well aware that we oftentimes have relationships with people, and Christians can have relationships, just like many did in the Bible, with those who are non-believers that were not good relationships. Christians were attacked and murdered and persecuted many different ways. So, therefore, if somebody's connected with God, there still has to be allowance for troubled relationships here, right? And Jesus would affirm, yes, In fact, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus will explain that I did not come to bring peace but division. I understood that as I showed up here, everything changes. I know very well that the truth that I'm going to bring to this world is going to mean some families are going to separate. I know that long-lasting friendships, when the truth enters in and somebody follows and somebody doesn't, it's going to break it up. And Jesus explains, listen, there may be trouble that comes even when you're following and obeying in your relationship with God. But as you look at life, so you ask somebody the question about how relationships are going with them, what you'll almost never hear is a person who says, hey, my relationship with, with God is terrible, but with everybody else, it's wonderful. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard that in my life from someone. My relationship with God is awful, but everybody else, it's going great. See, the reason is our primary relationship is that with God. Secondary is those with everybody else in our life. You and I both know that this action happens far too often. Where our relationship with God begins to take second place to our relationship with somebody else. And when that happens, we call that a relational distraction, to use the terminology of this series. Whenever something replaces God, becomes the focus in our life over God, that becomes a distraction to us. Relationships, therefore, can absolutely be distractions. Now, uh, now, this weekend I have four examples of how relationships can become distractions for us. And the first example of that probably is the most overt, the one that most people will see and recognize right off the bat, that when we look to other people and we, we want to be focused mostly on God and, and then on other people second, that we'll say, hey, let's, let's just focus on God than other people, but somebody might drift in and become a bad influence in our lives. Bad influence is the first way, the first example that a relationship can be a distraction. We've seen this a thousand times, haven't we? Where somebody in life enters into another person's life and and they begin leading them to something that they weren't doing before. Here, think back to like young kids. Let's think maybe little kids up to junior high, high school age. Think about, about young people like that. 
Everything seems like going well in their life. They're, they're, they're living a certain way. And then all of a sudden they meet the new kid from next door who wants to teach them new words that they never knew. Wants to teach them new websites that they never knew. Wants to bring them to new movies that they never cared about or, or new actions that they never were part of or new behaviors or new attitudes that weren't there before. And it's, it's actually pretty easy for a parent to look at that situation and say, huh, this kid's a bad influence on my kid. Have you seen that before? Have you ever seen that before in anyone's life where, where somebody looks like things are going okay and a new person comes in and now they begin changing for the worse? That person's a bad influence in their life. Now, of course, this isn't limited to children. It doesn't just stop there. Many, many men that I have known have been part of a, a one lifestyle or another and they, they shift into a new one where all of a sudden they're around a whole bunch of other guys using swear words all the time. This is just as a simple example. Now all of a sudden, their language gets a little more loose. And it's like, hey, why, why are you swearing all of a sudden? Oh, it's no big deal. It's just who I'm around. And here's what actually happens in those moments when the bad influence corrupts the good character. Because Proverbs 13, 20 tells us that he who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. God is supposed to be our primary relationship. Secondary is other people. But oftentimes we look at both of these separate and we say, God says... To not have any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. My buddies say it's not that big of a deal. I'll let it be not that big of a deal. You see what has happened there? Now all of a sudden we've allowed God to be replaced by some other person. Some other person has distracted us from what God has said. Maybe it's not language. That's just an example. Maybe it's sexual promiscuity. Maybe some part of your lifestyle, you're like, well, I didn't really think that was a big deal to watch those shows that encourage that stuff. I didn't think it was a big deal to enter in those relationships with people. Uh, and, and that's because ultimately, often we look at people and we see, hey, the world says it's not that big of a deal. Bad influences can easily enter into our life, easily distract us. Those are the most obvious ways that relationships can become a distraction. Now, I know when I talk about that, I, there's probably some sitting here, maybe many of you are thinking, but wait a second, aren't we supposed to have relationships with the people who are, are not always necessarily the best influences? Aren't, didn't Jesus, for example, didn't Jesus spend time with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and, and, and those who were the outcasts of society? Didn't Jesus spend time with the bad influences? And I would say yes, yes he did, yes. But two things. Number one, Jesus is God. It's just good to remember that. And we're not, okay? <laughs> He's not as prone to some of those issues as, as we can very well be. But on the other side, even more important, Jesus was always the thermostat and his crowd was always the thermometer. Let me explain what I mean by that. When you go home after the service and you step into your home, imagine for a moment that it's 110 degrees inside. Somebody in your house is going to immediately rush on over to that little box that's on the wall. And whether it's got buttons or a dial, you're going to go over and there's going to be two numbers on there, right? One is telling you what the temperature is and the other one is what the temperature should be. Got, follow me so far? Thermostat, thermometer. And you're going to turn that little knob to turn the temperature should be down to 62, obviously. That's what it should be in a house. And you're putting it down to where it should be, knowing that by setting the thermostat, the thermometer will follow. Jesus was always the thermostat in his environment. Wherever he went, he was the highest influence. Nobody ever said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, if you had shoes like mine, you might be cooler. And he would go, yeah, actually, that's a good point. Jesus never said to someone, well, actually, you know, now that I understand your side, maybe I should change the way I was preaching about. Because Jesus walked in and he said, this room shouldn't feel like this. 
Let me, let me show you where it should be. Oftentimes, those who wouldn't change left. And those who would, with the soft hearts, would change and adapt to him. In your lifestyle, are you the thermostat or are you the thermometer? At work, are you the one who, when people are talking about things you know that you shouldn't really engage in, or uh, when somehow there's an influence that's dragging you to an area you probably shouldn't go, are you the one who sets the tone back? Are you the one who just, whatever the room feels like, that's what you're going to read on me? See, it is so important to be evangelistic. It's so important to have that fervor for witnessing, but it's very simple for us to end up in a situation where we become the thermometer rather than the thermostat, being the one being influenced rather than the one influencing. Good, good, good friends of ours from, from the 95th campus said this in a parenting class once, that if you take a white glove and stick it in a pile of mud, the mud does not become glovey. I'll wait for those who didn't get it. Glovey. Get it? Think, okay, some of us. That's true, isn't it? It's far easier for the negative influences to, to influence, wrongly, those who are on the opposite side. It's far easier for those who are trying to remain pure to be pulled to that. This means we don't cut out every bad influence in our life. It means that we need to look at the influences in our life to determine, are we the primary influencer or are we being influenced? Otherwise, this happens and we let someone else tell us how we're supposed to live and we obey that over God. Comes a distraction. So the first is bad influence. The second example of the way relationships can become a bad influence, or relationships become a distraction for us, is unbiblical partnerships. Unbiblical partnerships. Now let me let me let me go real quick to, to businesses. Just to think about this for a moment. We go to Second Corinthians chapter six when we talk about being unequally yoked. That most people who have been Christians for any length of time have heard that, that used before, being unequally yoked. And, and this is what that means. Paul was talking to the Corinthian church at this time, and he says, listen, you have to be very careful. In fact, don't allow yourself to be, as a believer, yoked to an unbeliever. This is what he says. And the picture is that of two oxen pulling a cart or a heavy piece of machinery or a plow, and that giant wooden... Uh, bearing cross that would go across the shoulders of the beasts of burden to be attached to the ropes and the pulleys to be able to pull that gear, would lay across the shoulders of these two animals. And if you had one oxen and a sheep, it would be off kilter and both would have an issue pulling whatever the machinery was, whatever that cart was. It would be bad for both of them. And that's the silly picture that Paul gives. Listen, don't let yourself be unequally yoked. Now, in the context of that passage, I really believe that it's primarily talking about uh, relationships with people out in society, very likely business partnerships. So this is the way a business partnership can become an unbiblical partnership. There's one believer who goes into business with a non-believer, okay? Paul says, don't do this, and here's why. The day is going to come where you're going to have to make a very difficult decision, And if your life is wholly devoted to God before anything else, and that person's life is wholly devoted to self or world more than anything else, those are two very conflicting and competing ideologies. And at one point or another, the whole thing is going to crumble and break. You have now relied upon somebody. You have now committed to somebody. You have now offered influence and control over to somebody in your life to be able to challenge and pull on your faith. Now, I think that's primarily talking about business-type relationships. And Christians, I think, have a hard time with this. 
Because how do we know when we're in a partnership with a non-believer in the biblical way or a non-biblical way? So I enter into a business relationship or if I'm employed by a non-believer, how in the world am I supposed to know if that's, if that's right or wrong? I mean, at some point or another, you can't avoid being connected in some way to non-believers in the world if you are a believer, if you are a Christian. The truth is, I think it can be a kind of difficult situation. But I would entreat you to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and read through carefully what it is that Paul is talking about. Ask God to give you some insight. Ask the Christian brothers and sisters around you to help form in this. Is this, is this the way this goes? I think, though, that there's a couple of things we can kind of use to help us understand that. Number one, if we're in a situation where we have given control over to somebody in a place where we may have to compromise our faith in order to do something we're asked of in a work environment, that, I think, might be an unbiblical partnership. If you are working for an employer that's not a believer and asks you to do something against your faith, you can just quit, right? An employer who's, in a, who's a non-believer over a believer can, can tell them something, but that person can just quit. And it's not something that they've offered themselves to. They don't have that control except for the paycheck. The person can quit. But in a, in a, in a partnership where you start a business together, there's a lot more contracts going around there. But what you can and can't break. I would just say this is something that's very difficult. And each person needs to check their life on these things. And the business one can be a little bit hairy. You know which one is not as, not as difficult to understand? Romantic relationships. Romantic relationships. You see, that's what's usually talked about when we come to this passage in 2 Corinthians 6. An unequal yoke means you shouldn't be married to someone who's not a believer. I wholeheartedly agree. I think there's no greater partnership between two humans than marriage. That's way beyond business. Romantic relationships, then, God says, should not be unequally yoked. We should not have one person who's a believer marrying a non-believer. There's very specific things the Bible says about how you deal with it. If you find out that that is the case later on, and God gives great help and, and patience to that situation. And for those who are thinking, like, well, man, how am I going to deal with this? This is, this is a little difficult because I know somebody, or because my children are, or because something's going on. I'll tell you right now, God has great love, grace, and patience in this. And my hope and my desire would be that anyone who sees that there might be something that could be sin in their life will expose it before the Lord and say, God, can you show me? Can you just show me if I'm wrong here? I need to know. I need to know if I'm doing the right thing. Unbiblical partnerships are a very easy way that the enemy allows for us to be just twisted and now someone else becomes a higher focus than God. Someone else becomes a distraction between us and God. You gotta check the unbiblical partnerships. If you're the parent of a, of a junior high, high school age student, for, for example, who are thinking about, like, well, what should I say to my kids who want to date these non-Christian kids? First of all, maybe we should talk about the idea of dating at all in junior high, high school, which we don't have time for. Um, but, but honestly, if they're, if they're not believers, if there's a believer wanting to be with a non-believer, God doesn't approve, the, the Bible doesn't approve, so neither should we. No, I think that there are many differing but God-honoring ways to deal with a very difficult situation as that. I think that is the case. But we can't pretend that it's not a sin just because it's difficult to deal with. Unbiblical partnerships can be an extraordinary distraction. Bad influences. Unbiblical partnerships. As we look at this, we've got to know that God is watching us. He's seeing what we're doing. He wants to help in our relationships. And the last thing that he wants is for anybody to replace him, replace his son, to become what's the third one, a false savior. You see, false savior is when anybody ultimately is looking to another person for spiritual fulfillment. Anytime that one human looks to another human for spiritual fulfillment, they've gone around God and said, well, this person can fulfill me spiritually. 
a role that belongs only to God. We can see this happen in multiple different ways. This, this isn't just a, a one-way one way road. False, false saviors, I think, are abounding in the church, to be really honest with you. I think it's oftentimes something that, I, I'll tell you right now, I've got to be honest, I've struggled with this. I've struggled with being the false savior, the Messiah complex for other people. This is what it kind of looks like sometimes. Somebody begins coming to church. You sense in their heart that they're, they're warming to the spirit. They, they want to connect with him and they, they want to ask you questions about who this God is and how can I get to know him and can you help me know the scriptures and can you help me with life decisions? And soon what happens is that you begin selling to that and saying, well, well, I can answer this for you. Let me show you. And you get excited and it becomes, it starts with this evangelistic fervor perhaps, but very quickly it can become that person coming to you to be the false savior. You see, that person comes to you for spiritual fulfillment instead of God. You're, you're not really being that helpful. Maybe you're becoming a false savior. You're stepping in the gap. And, and, and all the wonderful things in your mind trying to help you could actually be hurting somebody else instead of teaching them to go directly to God. We teach them to come to us. This is when, and this might be an indicator of you've done this in your life, perhaps not even realizing it, when somebody says, what's the first thing that I should do when and they name their tragedy or crisis? If your answer is, call me, you might struggle with being a false savior for someone. First thing you do is never call me. The first thing you do is you go to God. You, you pray to God right away. And you ask him for guidance and help. And I'd, I'd love to be able to help you later about it, but you have to learn to go to him because he wants to talk with you, he wants a relationship with you. See, being a false savior for someone can be really painful. Uh, looking to someone as a false savior is likewise dangerous. Is there anyone in your life that you go to for spiritual fulfillment? Maybe that spiritual mentor in your life, the one who you call first when you need something. So you understand these are wonderful relationships to have, mentorships and help and discipleship and growing and developing, pouring into one another, but the enemy would love to step in and help a, a person become a false savior. See, he kind of technically did this in the Garden of Eden when he stepped in between Adam and Eve and looked at the, 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 the plants in the, in the garden. And he said, hey, see that tree? See that fruit? Hey, if you have it, this is what will happen. In other words, don't go to God and check in on this one. I will just tell you what you need here. He even did it to Jesus. Satan showed up to Jesus as he was tempting him in the wilderness and said, hey, you don't need to do this the way the way God said. You can just come to me and I'll help fulfill the whole plan. I'll take care of this. You just come to me. Um, if Satan does it, don't. Go ahead and write that down. That's a, that's a gem. Come on. That's a nugget. If Satan does it, don't. It's so easy for us to fall into that because it's this kind of almost codependent relationship we begin finding with another person. We lean on that person. We self-sacrifice so much. In fact, we're willing to hurt ourselves. And one of the things that happens in that situation is we kind of disconnect from the plug that we should be connected to in God entirely. Okay, uh, anyone driven, uh, been on a plane, flown on a plane with a little kid before? I didn't know this was the case until just recently when I were flying with my little daughter, okay? Um, but not now that I'm telling you this, you might notice it happening. Whenever the stewardess or the flight attendant gets up there and starts to kind of explain through that safety briefing that they give you, you know, connect the seatbelt here and there's the, there's this, you know, exit rows this way and if we land in a volcano, jump screen, you know, there are things that give you the whole what you should or shouldn't do. They go down the aisle and they find everybody who's got a little kid with them and they just lean over and they say, if the mask drops, the oxygen mask you understand you put yours on first and then theirs. Do you understand? They have to ask you. Even if they've said it out loud, they have to come ask you. So look, if, if you haven't flown with kids before, now you'll notice. The next time you're on a plane, find someone who's got a little kid and watch them. Don't watch them, but you know, like, 
notice that they will be, someone will go by and they'll say that to them. And here's, here's the picture. When the oxygen mask falls, you need to be connected to the source, to the lifeline. You need to be connected to that life-giving oxygen before you can provide help to anybody else. And sometimes when we try to become the false savior, we try to step into Jesus's place and say, we can do this. I can help this person as good as Jesus can. We wouldn't realize we'd say that. We say, I don't need the mask. I will help them. We've forgotten that, man, I need to be first connected to God. That needs to happen first. You see how subtly and in many different types of ways that type of relationship can become a distraction? You see how that could happen? The last one is isolation. This is actually a lack of relationships, isolation. This is where in some way you have just completely gotten away from all their people. You kind of put your arms out. You don't want a close relationship. And I'm not just talking about the hermits. Those who are at home right now watching this online, wherever you are, because you don't want to come into a church, come in. It's great. You've got to be part of this thing. You can't be outside all the time, all right? Uh, church is not supposed to be a hotel where you check in and you check out. It's a household. You come and you live. And that's the way it's supposed to go down. So we're not only talking about the hermit. I'm talking about those who may be socially surrounded by people all the time, but are relationally isolated. Sometimes it's the coffee shop weather talker. It's the person who gets together with their friend and they sit down to have coffee together and all they'll ever talk about is weather or sports or the news. You may have friends like this in your life that every time you get together, that's all they want to talk about. They don't want to get past that. So tell me about your relationship with your wife. How's it going? How's it going these days? Hey, so how have you been, how have you been learning things in the scriptures? What has God been challenging you on? Or if they're not a believer, hey, uh, you know I always want to talk with you about spiritual things. Can I just ask what you're, what you're thinking about God these days, how that's going? But so many of us have built up these walls, these isolation walls that, that don't let us have relationships with people at that deep level. We'll talk about the weather. We will talk about the sports. We'll talk about news. Something that's safe, but we won't talk about anything beyond that. For some people, you know what that wall is? Social media. Some people, that wall is like Facebook. Well, I don't want to commit to a relationship with you, but I'll be happy to quickly send a note back and forth. Facebook can be a great tool, a wonderful help for people who want to stay in connection with relationships, but it's not a replacement for real connection with people. Sometimes those types of things can create isolation in our life that we know a million people, but no one knows us for real. No one gets past the wall. And what happens then is that our focus becomes on keeping people out and protecting ourselves, making sure the wall is nice and solid without any, any little cracks in, or crevices that can make it crumble. And so our focus is so much on this that it's not on God as our highest relationship. These are all just examples of how relationships can become extraordinary distractions for us. But God has given us such a better look at what life should be like. And he said it in Mark chapter 12, which we just covered as he explained the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, the church has got to be a place where real relationships happen, where challenge takes place. If you are a believer and there is no one in your life who you've gone before and said, come to me, talk to me, share the truth with me, challenge me when I'm wrong. If you've not done that, you are so missing out on all that the Christian life has to offer. You're so missing out on what God has provided and wants for us as believers. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And the picture there is of this honing, becoming greater, becoming more like what God wants for us to be. And it's going to take some chipping away. Some sparks are going to have to fly. I, I love rock climbing. Um, I haven't done it in a long time because I I, we live in the flatlands here. And I, I just love getting on the wall. And so when I had started doing this, I had a great experience with some friends who brought me to the, the rock climbing gym uh, nearby. And 
wow, fell in love with that sport. It was so cool to me. And for those of you who had never done rock climbing, this is what it looked like. When I walked in, there was this giant wall about 50 feet high, and it had these little uh, bolted kind of rock-like holds and grips all the thing. And at the very top, there was this anchor that was bolted right into the wall. And a rope ran up through that anchor and then back down. So you kind of had two ends to the same rope that were anchored at the top. One rope would connect to the climber and one rope would connect to the partner. And this is what it would look like. Uh, the, the guy would jump on the wall. And I remember the very first time I did this, just kind of got on and I was connected with my harness up to the anchor and back down to the partner behind who's kind of holding me there on his harness, getting ready. And I began climbing the wall. And what I noticed is that when I got a, about you know, 10 feet up, all of a sudden, I couldn't see all the holds that I could see when I was on the ground. So here I am, and I'm like, okay, I'm all against, you know, pressed up against the wall, and I can't see what I'm supposed to grab onto. And I found myself turning back and saying, hey, where's the next hold? Yeah. My friend would say, it's up to your left. Put your hand up. No, a little more, a little more right there. Now up higher, right there. And I'd say, oh, thank you. Now I saw it, and I, could, I was able to grab hold of it. And what I realized as I started rock climbing is that I needed two things in order to get to the top. I needed the rope, the guy holding in case I ever slipped or fell, and I needed instruction. The rope and instruction. In the Christian life, it's so easy for it to be one or the other. That we will be the rope. I will always catch you. Nothing ever bad will happen. We'll always be there if you're going to fall. No big deal. But we never give instruction. We never say, hey, you're not doing what you should. You need to move that way. Don't know. Come back down. Go to the right. We're afraid to do that sometimes. You see, the Christian life is supposed to be like that. We're supposed to eliminate the, the relational distractions, every distraction that's out there, and we have right relationships before God, the ones that God has called us to, that beautiful type of relationship. Then and only then have we set God first and all others underneath, primarily focusing on Him. How's, how are the relationships in your life? Your relationship's going well? Do you have lots of troubled ones? Might be an indicator of your relationship with the Lord. Relationships going really well? Is that, is that well? That, that could be a good sign of how it's going with the Lord too. But here's what I would ask for you to think about. When relationships in your life don't feel to be going the way that you would hope that they would be, don't go to those relationships first. Make sure your relationship with God is solid. Because in that whole picture, God is the anchor at the top of the wall. And I don't care about the rope or the wall or either of those two people. You're not getting to the top without the anchor. And that's how we live in relationship with others as believers. My hope is that if you have any relationships in your life that have become a distraction, that you'd ask God to expose it to you. You'd check to make sure there's no sin in your heart or in your life that with anybody you haven't put them in the place of God, whether they're a, a bad influence, whether that's an unbiblical partnership you may not have even realized. Maybe that person is a false savior. Maybe you are to somebody. Maybe you've isolated yourself. Whatever it is, the hope is that you'd be able to enter into your life. You'd ask God, please remove any distractions. Let me focus just on you. Let's pray that that's the way it would be. Father, we just thank you for loving us enough that you step into our hearts, you step into our lives, you watch everything that we do. You look at our relationships and you care enough about them, Father, that you just, you change them for us. You show us that you care about us first. Lord, as I continue to work through my life with people, I pray that you would help me repent of the sins of, of putting anyone above you, Lord. And God, I would say the same for anyone in this room, that that would be their prayer too, that if we ever notice that somebody's taking your place, that we would remove that person out. We would shift them into a new location, that it wouldn't be their fault necessarily, Lord. Maybe it's ours. God, help us to change it. We care about you too much. We care about our faith. We care about our connection with you too much. And Lord, I know what a blessed, wonderful life it is. We've offered all of our relationships to you. Lord, be first 
be foremost, be primary. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.